So how are we going, guys? Good to be back at school, yeah? Yes, yeah, some people. Good to be back at youth, though, yeah? Yes. All right, because you guys had first week back at school, only fair that I give you guys a bit of a history lesson to kick off tonight. So, yeah. But I'll tell you what, this history lesson has a T-Rex in it, so it's going to be good, I promise. Anyway, so does anyone know who this guy is? Anyone know who this guy? No? It's... Big old bad Jonas Salk. You guys know who this guy is? Oh man, this guy discovered something amazing. He discovered Kanye. I mean, the polio vaccine. He discovered the polio vaccine. This guy, this guy's a big deal, guys. He's Back in 1953, this guy developed the needle that you get when you're a kid that protects you from getting this, this deadly disease and dying. And, and our old mate Jonas Salk, he went to actually amazing lengths to rid the world of polio, this deadly disease. He even tested it on himself and his whole family. In fact, he's, he only died recently in 1995. Yeah, he was actually, it was a tragic story. He was actually the scientist who was eaten by a T-Rex on the toilet in Jurassic Park. Have you guys seen that movie? Jonas Salk right there. True story. Now, how many people know that story? How many people know the story of Jonas Salk? Or maybe not the T-Rex bit, I made that part up. But um, have any of you guys heard of that? Only a few of you. All right. Because back in 1953, this was a big deal. Because do you guys realise, 10,000 Australians every year, mostly kids and teenagers, died from polio. That means if, you, if, you were, if it weren't for guys like Jonas Salk who did the cure, all of a sudden here would likely know someone who died from polio. That's heavy. Do you know how many people die from polio these days? None. That's huge. This story, this guy, changed history. But we don't even remember his name. But what this guy did was so huge that it actually affects everyone sitting here, even if we don't know the story and we don't realise it. Tonight's story from the Bible is even more massive and more significant. It's this story. All right? Now, I'm not sure if the lobsters are particularly historically accurate. (laughs) But, now, we all all know this. This is the story of Jesus being born, yeah? Now, we all probably know Jesus, and maybe you guys are familiar with the Christmas story of how Jesus was born. But like our old bait, the polio guy, I reckon it's easy to miss the hugeness of this event. You see, Jesus' arrival into the world was the biggest event in human history. But it's easiest for us to think, oh, it's just a warm fairy tale story we tell ourselves at Christmas time. But it's not that at all. Jesus' arrival into the world was the biggest event in human history, and the impact of that still matters today. It wasn't just the biggest event in history, it changed history. Just like that guy who invented the polio vaccine saved thousands of lives, Jesus has changed countless lives for this life and eternity. So tonight I'm going to spell out three big things about the arrival of Jesus that make it the biggest moment in human history. And for each one of those, I'm going to unpack why that matters and why that's an awesome thing for us here today. Because the arrival of Jesus was was an arrival of the promised King, God as man, and our Saviour from death. I went too far, too far in the clicker. All right. Promise King. All right, get your slides together, Sally. All right, but the first one we're going to talk about is Jesus Christ, the Promise King. But before we get there, 
I want to just really read out what we're going to miss if we miss this stuff. If we miss that Jesus is the promised king, we're in danger of disobeying the king of the universe. We're in danger of ignoring God who has shown himself to us and we're missing out on the cure of death. The stakes couldn't be higher. Still, somehow, people can think this event is a light and fluffy and entertainment thing. So let's change that mindset as we look at the passage tonight. So first, let's take a look at Jesus being the arrival of the promised king. Now, if you scan through the part of the Bible, look down at your Bible that we just read, you're not actually going to see the word king in that chunk we read. So where did I get king from? Well, we actually skipped the start of the chapter, and for good reason, because here's the stuff that we missed. Bam. All right. Can you imagine poor Abby trying to read all the Zerubbabel's and the Jehoshaphats and that sort of thing? So we skip that through. But it's from here that we actually pick up Jesus is the arrival of the promised king. Because what this is, is actually it's a family tree. It's called a genealogy in verse 1, which just means this is a list of Jesus' grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, great-great-great, you get the point. Um, it's the list of, of, of all his relatives. And it's who Jesus is related to that points to him being king. Take a look at verse 6 in your Bibles, halfway through the alphabet suit of fathers and grandfathers. In verse 6, it says, And Jesse, the father of King David. So that's part of the list because Jesus is descended from a king. And not just any king, King David. The reason that's important to the people who believed in God before Jesus arrived they were waiting, they, it was because they were waiting for an epic, awesome king, and God had told them he was coming, and one of the ways they would realize who that person was is that he would belong to the family of David and David's dad, Jesse, we read in the passage there. So now I'm going to actually take you back into the Old Testament, the part that came before Jesus, and to a book called Isaiah that was written 700 years before Jesus. And it says here in the passage, I'm so far behind. There's Isaiah. There we go. We'll go to that. All right. Uh, so I'm taking you to this passage in Isaiah. Uh, and what we're going to see is we're going to see something that came 700 years before Jesus arrived. And this is going to show us who the promised king is. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So we get lots of funny language in this passage, but it's actually describing this person related to Jesse, King David's dad, to be the awesome king they're waiting for. With the spirit of God, wisdom, understanding, counsel and might, it says in the passage. So that definitely sounds like a description of an epic king. So Jesus has the right ancestors to be this promised king. I reckon this is like when a mate uh, tells you they know someone who's related to a celebrity, yeah? Like, uh, they tell you about a friend of theirs that's related to like a, like a famous awesome surfer. Your next question is, are they any good at surfing? Like for me, it just so happens actually that my auntie is married to Hugh Jackman's brother. True story. So you're probably wondering... Is Sally's uncle a great actor, really handsome, and a male model? Well, I'll let you guys be the judge. There's my uncle. Um, so you get, the, you get the point, though. Jesus being related to King David, it, it make, who we're related to makes you ask the question, do you follow in the same way? 
They asked when they saw that Jesus was descended from Jesse and King David, they asked the question, is this guy the promised king? And we are told the promised king would be descended from David. And look what it says in verse 1. Take a look at your Bibles. It starts off the book of Matthew with, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. So here we have, they even give Jesus the title Messiah, which identifies him as the promised king they were waiting for. He's the one. He's the Messiah. So right now, I'm going to give you guys two big things um, that this matters to us for because he's the promised king and what it means for our lives. The first thing I want to say is, Jesus being the promised king means we have a tremendously powerful but wise and good ruler. Now, question for you guys. If you were to give control of your life to someone, who would that person be? You know, let them decide what you do, who you are, and what you say. If you had to give control of your life to someone, who would that person be? Would it be the person sitting next to you? Probably not. Well, maybe a friend or a trusted family member, maybe even one of your parents. Now, think about it. That person, would they do a good job? Would they do a good job of it? You ask the question, are they actually doing a good job running their own lives? Now I want you guys to think about yourselves for a second. Do you think you're the best person to be running your life? What are your qualifications for running your life? Because the qualifications of Jesus in the passage, as the kingly ruler, were wise, mighty, with God's vast knowledge and understanding. So do you think he's more qualified than you? What I want you guys to see here tonight is whether or not you like what you see in the Christian life, do you see how having a good king like Jesus ruling your life would be good for you? Living the Christian life might not be the wildest, most untamed way to live your life, but it's a life lived in the hands of a powerful and loving ruler with wisdom marking out the best way to live. Jesus is the only person worthy of ruling your life. The second thing I want you guys to take away from Jesus being the king means he will actually expect us to obey him. Now, while he delights and he loves being in a relationship with us, just like a loving parent, he actually expects us to obey the boundaries he set for us. They're good boundaries and they're what's best for us and they honour him as our king and we show and respect those boundaries. But like a king, he's actually going to punish those that disobey and rebel against his rule. Now, this is what we call sin. This is wanting to live our way, not God's way. And I'm telling you, it's not the best way. It might be the most convenient way, but it actually destroys us and angers God, who has set before us what is good, and he'll actually judge the evil ways of those that don't trust him. So not following Jesus as the ruler of our lives has real consequences. That's heavy. But remember, being under his rule is the best position we can possibly be in. So this is the first big thing we need to catch about Jesus' arrival into the world. It was no ordinary arrival. It was actually the arrival of the promised king of the universe. The second big thing Jesus is, is is the arrival of God as man. You know, I reckon so many people these days ask the question, where is God? I can't see him. Well, here he is in the passage in human form. He's Jesus. Now, I want you guys to take a second with the Owen Wilson meme, just to think actually how big this is, guys. God has come 
to make himself known and live amongst us as a man. That's big. God has come to live amongst us as a man. And how did he go about coming into the world? Well, you could uh, imagine some cool and epic ways God would choose to come into the world. Maybe you do something like this. I don't know. Some angels, a bit of firepower. Maybe something like this. Or maybe you come into the world, something like this. No, probably not that. Probably not that. Um, But we know from reading the passage, God chooses to enter in a completely different way than that. But definitely in a miraculous, amazing, God-like way. So make sure you've got your Bibles open again. We're we're heading into Matthew, the part that we read. Matthew chapter 1. And let's take a look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, the promised king, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we have to stop there. Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, were about to get married, but before they did, they realized, although Mary hadn't been with another man, she was pregnant. That's wild. Sounds hard to believe, yeah? It seems like that for Joseph, because look at what Joseph does in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph doesn't feel good about this this situation. So he actually plans to get out of there. But another thing out of this world happens in verse 20. Take a look. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, home, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Although you might be afraid to marry Mary, this is part of God's plan. It's not a man who created this baby. It's God, the Holy Spirit, the power of God. This is a miracle. This has God's handiwork all over it. And you are to name him Jesus, it says. So why is God going to all this trouble to do this thing, these things? Well, I want you guys to skip ahead a bit further to verse 22, and we can understand why God did all this. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this event of a virgin miraculously giving birth to a baby was another identifier that people could know this is the Messiah, the promised king. And look at what he's going to be like. It says his name means God with us. Jesus will be the promised king and literally God himself. God with us in human flesh. Wow. This is no ordinary story, guys. This is the story of how God came to be amongst us as a man. And we wouldn't expect anything less or anything less extraordinary when God comes into the world. We would expect, wouldn't we, the the all-powerful, all-eternal creator of the universe to have big and amazing ideas. Yeah, we would definitely expect that. His mind is so on a different scale to ours. It doesn't surprise me that this seems like a, a strange way for God to do things. Because if I think of my mind, sometimes I try and open my front door with my car clicker. It's very obvious that God's mind is different to ours, and God's mind makes things we wouldn't even dream of doing to show us He is there and He is acting in the world. 
So here's how I reckon this should shape us. It means, first of all, we can know God's real if Jesus is God. We can actually test the existence of him in history because we can see Jesus. We can see a man who did extraordinary things like raise people from the dead. If that's true, then either you're a wizard, Harry, or you're God. Like, there's no other, there's no other option. You are God if you're doing miraculous things like that. Now, if you're still suspicious and keen to see if this stuff stacks up in history, again, I really want to encourage you, uh, what Geordie said about getting along to the Life series next Tuesday night and investigate the heap of evidence there are that Jesus actually was real and lived in history and why so many of us here tonight are convinced that it's true. So the second way this should shape us, I reckon, guys, is God coming into the world in Jesus shows us we can clearly know what God is like. God isn't unclear or some weird abstract concept that we can't get a hold of. No, we can see him walk, talk and interact with people in the Bible, live a perfect and godly life. We can know who God is and what he expects of us clearly through Jesus. So even if this story might be familiar to you as we read through the book of Matthew this term, I want to ask you, are you wrestling with the fact that this is how the God of the universe lives? How does your life stack up to the way Jesus lives it in the book of Matthew. I want you guys to be paying attention to who the perfect man of Jesus is this term because his hope is you will not just think the same way as him, but you will live the same way as him. There's a challenge for you. The last thing I want want you guys to grab from the God-man Jesus is, is through him we can see how God deeply cares about us. Would you guys be willing to give up power and position in heaven if you were Jesus? to become a man, a man that did amazing miracles, but people still didn't believe him, a man who healed many people, but people killed him innocent on a cross, a God-man that could have saved himself from the horrible death of being hung up on a cross, but he stayed there to pay the price that we deserved. What does that tell you about who God is and does he care? That's big. And the last big thing I want to show you about Jesus coming out of this story is that through Jesus, we see the arrival of our Savior from death. Jesus saves us from death. Now, this term, we're going to see a lot of huge huge stories and huge stuff about Jesus through the book of Matthew. We're actually going to only stop a quarter way through the book. So we're actually going to miss the moment of the cross where we see Jesus accomplish what's written in verse 21. Take a look at your Bibles. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It says here, Jesus is our saviour that will save us from our sins. He accomplished this further on in the book of Matthew by his death on the cross. This was the only way to save us because we deserve death. And God must punish evil. But Jesus stepped in and took our punishment for us, so we could be forgiven. Now you guys might be thinking, either you know this, or I've heard this story before, nothing new, yeah? But do you realise, apart from this event of Jesus going and dying on the cross for you, there was nothing you could do to save yourself from death. No good deed, no other religion, no wishful thinking. So let me ask you right now, do you have a hope that when you, when you die, you'll be going to a good place? Does that mean you're one of Jesus' holy people? If not, how are you sure you're going to go to that good place when you die? 
You see, Jesus has gone to that place and come back in his death and resurrection. So he actually tells his followers there is a guarantee that they are going to end up in that place. What's your guarantee? Jesus comes as the saviour to the world, offered to everyone, but only given to those that are his. Are you one of his people? If you're not sure or you want to be, I want to encourage you tonight to do something about it. You're amongst many people here who trust Jesus and want you actually to become one of his people as well. So chat to a mate, chat to a leader, or chat to me tonight down the front after this. Because if you don't take up Jesus' offer to be one of his people, you won't be saved from death. And it's not just a lifeline. It's actually turning towards God himself to live the best and beautiful way he designed for you. So tonight, as I wrap up, I actually just want to bring us back to the original picture we saw tonight. Yeah, this silly one. My hope is actually that you will never look at one of these nativity scenes, one of these, these ridiculous things that we look at at Christmas time. I actually want you to see something completely different. I want you to see this. And I want you to remember just how big a moment this simple picture is. It was the greatest moment in human history that should change all, all of us dramatically today, even though it was 2,000 years ago. It marked the arrival of the promised king, God amongst us and the saviour of the world. But these things tonight will only impact us if we take Jesus seriously. Because many people know this story, but choose not to be impacted by it and live their lives their own way. I want to encourage you, don't miss out on getting to know Jesus. We're going to be looking at who Jesus is all this term in the book of Matthew. But right now, why don't we just take this opportunity to come before Jesus and be honest with him in prayer.